0: Hi, this is Maximilian Osinski, and you're listening to Talking Lasso.
1: I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Honey, is that an ingredient or is that something you just call me right now? Ingredient. Shoot, I was kind of hoping it was the other one. How worried are you about the threat of relegation? Well, Lloyd, right now I'm mostly concerned with the definition of relegation. Congrats. You both just met a cool person. (laughs) On three, one, two, three. Yo, yo, yo! How's it going, Josh? It's going pretty good. Joey, how you doing? It's good. It feels very strange. We're recording at a different time to normal, and it's actually light outside <laughs> for me.
0: Oh, that's weird because it's dark out for me. We've got some uh, lovely <laughs> London weather coming.
1: Uh, it's cold and rainy today. Lovely London weather. Well, I'm not London. I'm about an (laughs) hour and a half north of London, but we've got lovely weather. I'm going to spend the rest of the day in the garden with a beer when I'm done here. All
0: right. Swapped weather. Nice. I'm going to clean out my closet and uh, do a home improvement project.
1: (laughs) Cleaning out your closet. I thought you were going to say, like, uh, get rid of some mental demons that you've got going on. (laughs) But I'm glad it's a bit more lighthearted than that.
0: Oh no they're uh they're the, the mental demons are locked in. They're not going. anywhere.
1: <laughs> That's what helps keep you creative, surely. Sure. <laughs> um so Josh, let's do the thing that we always forget to do. Oh um, geez,
0: what could that be? Uh oh, spoiler <laughs> warnings. This episode of Talking Lasso contains spoilers for ta- uh Talking la- for Ted Lasso seasons 1 and 2, but most importantly, season 3 episode 7, The Strings, that Bind us to something that most men don't want strings attached
1: to. (laughs) No, no no strings attached would be ideal when it comes to what happens here. Um, Josh, I know we do this at the end, but I'd really want to ask you, um, after last week, I don't think last week hit the nail on the head for us in terms of the episode. Although, having spoken to quite a lot of people about that episode, I've heard people saying it was their favorite of the season um the Amsterdam episode uh which I lovingly referred to as the Coach Beard episode of this season not as horrific how did you find this episode <laughs> are we back on form I thought this episode
0: had a really great balance of it had really good and important drama but it was really really bookended with some really great comedy especially from Roy and the team
1: yes yeah. So so we're positive about this episode this time. We're in a, we're in a good mood all the way through.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean as good of a mood
1: as some of these storylines can put us in. Very true. Yeah. There there are quite a few heavy themes going on here. Um can I tell you that I thought this episode was good but not as good as the start of the season. I think I will favor this episode over those episodes at the start of the season, simply because of the very last scene in it, which we will get to, which brought a tear to my eye when I watched it the first time.
0: I I can see that. I think that this season has built really well on top of itself. So it's kind of Mm. continuous improvement. One thing that Brett Goldstein and Bill Lawrence have done really well. And Jason Sudeikis. I mean, he, he's had a really big creative input on this show as well is, uh, they, they are really consistent. I think I caught one of the first continuity errors in this season, uh, in this episode.
1: Okay. Looking forward to hearing that. Cause I didn't pick anything up. I haven't been looking for them. So
0: yeah, it, it was a really minor thing, uh, which I mean, I'll talk about it now. Cause we're going to start talking about the team. Okay. And, uh, towards the end of this arc with the team, uh, Jamie goes up to the board where like we saw Zava at the beginning of the season and he's playing with the little magnetic circles. And Ooh. when he walks up to the board, he points to the middle and he's like, this should be me in the middle facilitating. And then it cuts to a different angle with Jamie kind of doing things where he's like trying to re-explain it. But that center dot is gone. Oh, it just, okay. it moved. It is just a small continuity thing where I'm like, what was Jamie pointing at in the last shot? If that's not there anymore. <laughs>
1: That's what total football is. You turn your players invisible, Josh. So, <laughs> so, so let, yeah, okay. We should say we're not, uh, this episode is going to follow um, the same kind of telling of it as the last episode did, because we have a number of stories here running in parallel um, rather than being really intertwined. So it's much cleaner for us just to explain them group by group. There's one crossover, but I think the crossover is so minor that it's still worth keeping it separate. Um, And as Josh said, we're going to talk about the team first. So the team, their whole story, we'll get into the nitty gritty in in a second, but their whole story is about getting total football to be their philosophy within a week, (laughs) which is insane. And they make it know that that's insane. Um, I really enjoyed Coach Beard's presentation about total football. I thought there were some really cool old style shots. I don't know how how you feel about the um, historic football matches that are put in there, but the Dutch uh, beating the Germans in—I can't remember what World Cup it was, but wasn't it the, '74, something like that? But the the highlights there and the highlights the highlights of Ajax um, rising to to glory with Johan Cruyff. As we were cleverly told, that's how it's explained. I've called him Johann Cruyff for years, um, but Johann Cruyff being the godfather of total football, and then it cutting to Pep Guardiola, who's who's kind of the the modern day king of total football. Um, and I enjoyed the callback here to season two of Jamie leaving Man City to go and partake in a reality TV show. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some really good callbacks, and there was
0: actually. Um... For those that don't know, Bill Lawrence, who is uh an executive producer on the show, uh, he also created um Spin City and Scrubs, among other shows, as well as uh Cougar Town. Uh, mm-hmm. and now with Shrinking, he's teamed up with Brett Goldstein again. Uh, but there is a real like like Scrubs kind of joke in this first scene with the team revealing Total Football as their new philosophy, where uh they're talking about like, oh, it's like a someone trying to get out of their comfort zone with a new piece of clothing. And it just, uh, you, you pay them a compliment to let them know that you, you support their decision. And then it cuts to some random player we've never seen before. And like, love the hat, by the way. <laughs> and it was like, that's, that's a real scrubs kind of throwback.
1: Like it's got, it's got hooch's crazy vibes.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just yeah. a random throwaway joke that really only works because you love the show.
1: Yeah no I agree. Um the other thing we see here is is the return of Ted being called a wanker which I don't think we've had that much of this season. Um I'm kind of skipping forward a little bit but Ted ends up inviting the three fans that we we grown to know and tolerate in the pub. Um, yeah the only one I can remember their name is Baz. Uh, Paul Baz and one other. Uh, I only remember Paul because he switches uh personality with another of them uh, to mm. be to try total football from the stands um but he invites them to a training session and the training session is basically where Roy Kent becomes sergeant and torturer extreme <laughs>
0: <laughs> the these these training moments I thought was really great and the uh the minor very minor subplot uh, that really just plays out in the background where more people from the town come and watch training. I thought it was really great because as a, a Green Bay Packer fan, uh, I don't know how many other pro NFL teams do this, but um the Packers whenever they're training outside for practice, they have stands outside that the fans can come and sit on and watch them play. Oh, well, that's really or cool. Or practice. So it gave me some some Packer vibes, and it was like, I love Richmond, I love Ted.
1: <laughs> Clubs often invite fans to an open training session um, once a season. It's usually at the start of the season where it doesn't actually matter. They run drills rather than tactics and mm-hmm. styles of football. Um, we had a, an instance a few years ago where um, Derby County accused <laughs> Leeds United of spying on their training sessions, and there's all these jokes about Marcelo Bielsa, who is quite an elderly man, camping out in a field in Derby to watch Frank Lampard's training sessions. Um, and it sparked a whole whole rivalry between the clubs. So it's not a thing here that they invite anyone other than club staff to, to be a part of the training sessions.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Maybe that'll be a subplot that'll come in later as we get close to that... Uh, That Mighty Ducks ending where the underdogs take on the big bads.
1: I don't know that it will become a thing. I really, really loved the line that Ted, and I think that this shows that the writers of this show understand English culture within the game. They said, he invited them and Coach Beard said, are you sure you want to do that? And he said, well, it's their club. We're just borrowing it for a while. And managers and players come and go, but the fans, this is everything to them. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought that was a really lovely line that I didn't even make a note of, but just talking about it now really hits home how how well written parts of this episode were.
0: Yeah, and it, it's really nuanced in those sort of things, um, and like uh, even in May's little quick storyline about her pub, where the team's not doing well and no one's mm-hmm. showing up for them to for her to sell. Beer too, yeah. Um, but obviously, that's maybe going to change here soon.
1: I would hope so. We can't um, lose all season, Josh.
0: <laughs> so uh, the the next bit of training that we see where they are tied together to uh, a, well, actually, first the first thing um, which is uh, they they get p- players to switch positions because the idea with total football is positions kind of become. Pointless because you're always going to be moving and shifting, and uh mm. so they they create uh pairs. So like Danny teams up with or switches places with Isaac, which is a really great gag where they f- take on <laughs> each other's personas as well. You you hear Isaac go adios,
1: míos. I and, loved uh, <laughs> Danny Rojas going, let's fucking get them blood. <laughs> oh, he says bruv, 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 Yeah, not blood, bruv. It was very good. It was very, I really enjoyed that joke.
0: And, and the disappointment when Ted's like, "Oh, you guys don't have to like pretend to be each other." Everyone's like, "Oh, but we we want we kind of want to do that." <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the only thing I didn't think was great in that section of training when Ted says to Isaac, "Go and take the corner," and he says, "I've never taken a corner before," and then he says, "Well, take it, and just kick it, and see what happens." Isaac kicks the ball so hard that it goes out of the other stand and breaks a window where um, Higgins is drinking tea and it breaks the glass. Now, are we supposed to believe that Isaac has like super strength here? Because there's no way any (laughs) footballer, no matter how professional they are, can break a window from what I'm assuming is not only the width of the whole pitch plus the length of a stand that high up because we've seen how high they are because they wave at Rebecca in the second series multiple times during training. And I just thought that that wasn't really needed.
0: I think there was another scrubs moment where Bill Lawrence's stuff kind of comes previous works kind of bled into this because that's Mm. a very much we're going to scare Ted Buckland, the lawyer at Sacred Heart kind of moment where he's just Mm. in there going to put his briefcase on his desk with a hot cup of coffee. And then all of a sudden something scares him from outside. Like that's, that's another one of those sight gags that just, it felt
1: old school bill Lawrence yeah. and not quite fitting in this show. Yeah, I guess, I guess. But, um, I think on the whole, the, tr- the team stuff was very believable. And then, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, so, we have the first training session where he just, Roy Kent just runs them into the ground to the point where they're vomiting because they're so exhausted. And then um, they come to the next one and they've all got this red string tying them together. Hence the name of the, the episode, The Strings That Bind Us. And it comes from, I can't remember exactly where in Japanese folklore, but um, that they imagine there's a red string connecting the people who are part of your core. Identity, your core team. And Roy has, in his infinite wisdom and infinite cruelty, decided (laughs) that the way that they're going to be tied together is around their penises. So if they get too far from each other, they... Well, I don't want to think about how much <laughs> that would hurt.
0: Very high risk, <laughs> low reward.
1: <laughs> I would say high risk, no reward. <laughs> um, but we get quite a good training montage of them, like a lot of them being very careful and being dragged around on these red strings until Jamie and is it Sam he's tied to run? Uh, you know? It changes. I think it's Richard. Oh, okay. When when this moment happens, yeah, and and he runs and and um, we just see jamie's face go oh like oh me willy and then um <laughs> we see the red the red string on the floor so everything goes quiet in the stands and on the pitch and who is it that shouts his his penis is okay uh, that, is one that one was Danny that one was Danny's the one that's like
0: next to him like are you okay <laughs>
1: And they both slowly look down into his shorts and he goes,
0: His penis is okay. <laughs> yeah, I the only thing I would say about that one is that it that gag took a little too long to get to the punchline where Jamie's just like slowly opening his shorts and like <laughs> sees that like everything's okay. Like, I mean, you would probably at least get a rope burn that probably is still gonna be pretty painful.
1: Yeah, probably. But then I like the immediacy of the the one afterwards. I think it was done intentionally with this second um, time it happens. And Ted walks straight through the middle of Isaac and um, someone else. I can't quite remember. Uh, he walks up between the rope on them and pulls theirs off as well. And they're yes. both on the floor, biting <laughs> in pain.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good punchline to that bit, um, which uh, we we skipped over the the changing of uh, positions and the, the partners where Jamie is with Jamie, which leads to what I talked about earlier, where Jamie starts talking about being a facilitator. Um, Because they're they're stuck in that Zava mindset and they're they're still putting Jamie in a box that Ted was actually just telling Isaac about getting out of where they they think Jamie just wants the glory and the goals where Jamie wants to win and he wants to make everyone around him better.
1: Yeah. And and there's a really another really good character development from Jamie when he's uh, being reserved in himself because he doesn't want to upset the team with what he says. He eventually gets told he can say what he wants to say, but we'll come on to that during the match section. Um, The other thing I wanted to bring in here that I think was my favourite gag of the whole episode, it's not just the players that have switched, the coaching staff have switched, and uh, Coach Beard is now doing the kitman duty and will the kitman is now on coach beard duty and he's got <laughs> masking tape on his face to make a beard and he's doing the the best coach beard impression um and he's like let's go baby woo <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they clearly realize what
0: they have in will as a character and they're letting him just roll with it at this point
1: <laughs> i really like though that um coach beard just wants to be a good kit man but instead of being a good coach will is just being coach beard
0: yes <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the the callback to season one two where ted takes a sip of a, a copy. he's like "Ooh, this
1: is good what is it water water <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's good i, I like the training montage of this, uh, this episode i'm not always a fan of them but i think um i think this one landed very very well
0: yeah, and we get a little bit of a misdirect before we head into the match where the uh, after the week of training where the team has been really diving into total football, they will drops a, a water bottle and uh, he it gets kicked around the team. They pass it with like flawlessly, effortlessly, and they ended up putting it back into Will's carrying kit where that he has with all the water bottles with the and, great uh, escape
1: music behind it as well. That yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And uh, it it was a really good little moment showing how in sync they are. But like I said, it felt like a little bit of a misdirect because then we get to the match. And in the first half, they're just a complete mess until Jamie talks about it. But uh, if you want to get a little deeper into the first part of the match, uh, let's get into it.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I don't think it's a very long conversation. They're trying to do total football, but they don't really understand it. I feel like what they've done is they've said, you need to understand each other's positions and they understand it, but they don't know how to play it. What's the point in signing a player in a certain position? If you're just going to ask them to play another position. Um, And Jamie articulates this beautifully as, as I was going, uh, as I said before, he, he wants to correct the team on how they're playing. They go into halftime three nil and they're all very pissed off that it's not working. Um, And Jamie uh says i don't want to hurt i don't want to piss people off by saying what's wrong because i know what's happening and everyone says no no it'll be fine and he says um in his jamie voice he says you gotta stop playing it to me and start playing it through me and the idea <laughs> is that you can't have that focal point like you had with zava that doesn't work with total football mm-hmm. um and i think it's 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 good that jamie uses his past experience here because in the in the explaining of total football they named jamie as someone that pep guardiola has taught how to play total football
0: yeah that was a really great callback to his time was it man city that he played at manchester Uh, city yeah and that was who they lost to at the end of season one to get relegated yeah and uh yeah jamie completely understands what his role is and can be in total football even if it doesn't mean he gets the glory of the goals it's all about the team winning which is again total football yeah to my understanding
1: yeah no you're right um I think it's it that yeah so the point is that Jamie um, isn't alpha Jamie comes deeper and now lays the ball off to someone else who can take the glory and the glory isn't singular person it's whole team mm-hmm. um, which which they managed to do in the second half and they still lose but they've demonstrated that they understand and can play total football
0: yeah and uh there there's a really great bit of commentary from uh the the commentary team when they score that one goal because it it just flowed so well and there's some really great editing in that moment too where uh even though there's a lot of cuts it it looks great and you can follow the action really
1: well Mm. yeah no i i think that Ted Lasso do their live football scenes very very well anyway, um mm. but I think I think this one was was lovely to watch. Liquid football, you'd say, Josh, because it just flowed.
0: I, I do think that the result of the match is a little disappointing, not just because Richmond lost, but I think if they had ended up making it like three two, I think that mm. would have been in, uh, a little bit better, showing that the team, even though we saw that one goal. Showing that they they made a, a match of it, and just instead of that one flash, yeah.
1: I I sort of understand what you mean, but I don't know. I think by they'd need to be very very clever with how they did it because what you don't want to do is just have a repeat of what you've just watched twice just to demonstrate that they they get it. I think I think by showing just three one and they lost three one, but they got that total football. I think it shows an understanding without showing too much of it, and there was a lot apart from the team in this, which we should get onto, really. There was a lot in this episode that was besides the team um, that I think deserved the airtime as much as the match itself.
0: Yeah, so the, the team storyline really... It culminates at the end of the Sam storyline, but where this point of the, the episode ends, uh, Trent comes barging in after that miraculous Damn. liquid goal uh, that we saw. He comes in, he's just like, the last way, it's going to work. This, this is this is going to work because what you have done with like micro moments, these little moments that are imperceptible, you have built something that is going to work because you have created an, uh, an environment for the team that it has no other option, but to work. Yeah. I I love (laughs) after Trent walks away, he's just so excited. He's pumping his fist. He's got his (laughs) notebook and uh, Roy just goes, what a fucking dork. (laughs) (laughs) which we didn't even talk about Roy, uh, Roy having all of these lassoisms, and (laughs) he's he's openly acknowledging them, but also like, I hate what you've done to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I think really quickly, let's go through Roy here because there's a couple of things I thought were really funny in this Um, in the very first scene where they're talking about how, uh, sorry, the very first scene that we, we spoke about where they're revealing total football, everyone's like, oh, we can't play that. There's no way we can play that. And uh, Roy comes in and goes, no, it's okay. We'll get it. We'll train on it. And in a few months, we'll be able to do this. And Ted turns around and says, no, no, we're going to play this way against Arsenal at the weekend. And Roy turns completely deadpan and goes, that is fucking mental, (laughs) (laughs) which was good. And then every time we had anything like sadistic from Roy, like the strings around the knobs, you could just see him laughing in the background to himself and i think it's the happiest we've seen roy in, in yes. all three series um it was yeah it was he was uh brett goldstein did a great great performance here
0: so let's let's run through uh these two middle storylines uh i believe that the term would be b plots for these yeah. two um let's start with nate basically we we continue to soften nate uh he's trying to ask out jade for a real date but she's not working uh, he has a dinner with his family because I believe it's, it's his sister's
1: birthday. Yeah, that's right.
0: And we meet the niece that he builds these boxes with that we uh, look, we see in the first season, and then uh, they've
1: made one for his sister in this episode. Um, I think if if you're listening to this and you haven't watched Ted Lasso, that the boxes are like shoe boxes, but they're very intricate and they pop up and they have uh, different elements to them. In this one, for example was a happy birthday mum for the niece's mother. Um, and it comes into play in a little bit because we find out that Nate's dad, who is really harsh on Nate the whole way through, he's very like, men must be men and yada, yada, yada. Um, we find out that he is a big old softie, was a big old softie when he met Nate's mum. Josh, do you want to explain the map? So, uh,
0: like we learned in season one, Ted's dad is a a cartographer because he, uh, he measures distances and, uh, Nate early on in the series makes a a joke that his dad used to joke that he's like 0.0034 miles tall. And, uh, (laughs) so in order to court Nate's mom and when they're in university together, he had a world map where he laid out where, where we were born so many miles apart, where we, uh, grew up so many miles apart like he's in India his mom's in uh, England and then uh, where we live on university where we'll be on Friday night hopefully is like 10 feet apart or five feet apart and uh, it was his way of asking Nate's mom out and uh, it's revealed that his dad has this sentimental romantic side and uh, before that it's revealed that it's a big secret that nate should not be able to see this because his dad would have a fit and uh his dad actually says a line because they're they're left alone for a moment because uh nate's dad his brother-in-law and uh his niece go out for ice cream because his sister asks what Nate's dad would consider it an inappropriate question about how, how much tail Nate Nate is getting like, Oh, you're the
1: hottest coach in football. And uh, tell me you're hooking up with someone every day or something along those lines. Yeah.
0: And Nate's dad walks away with like, Oh, let's leave him to the girl talk. And I was like, Oh, that's,
1: that's not nice. I think it was more than that. I don't think he said girl talk. I said, let's, he think he says, let's let the girls talk, which is uh, even uh, worse in a way. I think it was, uh, but but I think it's it's a very key point that needs to be made that that was the kind of language that he used and that's how he saw Nate.
0: Yeah. So Nate talks to his sister and his mom about like how do you know if a girl likes you? And uh, there's a good running joke even with like Siri says you can't, and his mom and dad or his mom and his sister say the same thing you can't, and uh, so Nate decides he's just going to go and ask her out. He he yeah. goes he goes back to a taste of Athens, uh, sees Jade. He has a little bit of a, a panic attack, so he runs into the bathroom. Which I, I thought this was a really nice moment where he goes to the same stall where he had started doing his spitting thing after getting that talk from Rebecca and Keeley. And uh, yeah. this time he doesn't spit. He he gets a, a light bulb.
1: I think what once again, just to explain, if you haven't seen it, like first of all, you should. You should absolutely see it. But in Season 2... Yeah, what are you doing
0: listening to this if you haven't
1: seen it? (laughs) Well, I didn't want to say that because it goes out and talking smack. And I don't want to actively push people away, Josh. But uh, you're allowed to. Um, (laughs) But in Season 2, Nate's really, really nervous about asking for the window seat. And he's not got the the gravitas or he feels he doesn't have the gravitas to do that and Rebecca teaches him this trick to make himself big and says that everyone has their own way of psyching themselves up to to do this I think we may have mentioned it because it happens in episode one of this season but instead of just making himself big Nate looks at his reflection and spits on it Um, and it's a really quite hyper aggressive way of of psyching himself up but as Josh said, this time it, it was it was pretty nailed on that he was going to spit. But then he just didn't. He gets a he
0: gets a nice little smile on his face because he has an idea. Because after seeing the map, he he's inspired. Yeah, and so he he goes home and he or he he walks past Jade after having a moment in front of her. He's like, "I'll I'll be right back." And <laughs> he uh, bumps into the door because that's his running gag. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't know which way the doors swing. And uh, he goes home and he makes a box for her, which, again, we're we're getting this soft Nate. Uh, he's not the asshole that we thought he might be after season two.
1: Yeah. And, and the box is uh, Nate and Jade. And it says, uh, will you go on a date with me or do you want to go on a date with me or something to that effect? Um, and then the next day, Nate is going to deliver the box and he trips on the curb and the box flies in the air, but lands and it's fine. And you think, oh, i will be okay. He'll be able to give the box. And then the box gets run over. Um, so it's completely in tatters. Um, I did feel for Nate a little bit there. Um, I know that it's an acting performance, but it would be tragic. He spent a long time on that.
0: Uh, it's a great character moment where uh, Nate has, uh, a, he's clearly just kind of processed through even just building the box. He's like, I can do this. Yeah, And he just walks up to Jade after the box is run over. And he says, do you want to go on a date with me? And she just immediately says yes. Uh, He didn't need the box. He had the
1: courage all along. (laughs) Cowardly lion. And there was a a really good line from Jade in this. When she says yes. And then there's a moment of silence. She went, there was nothing alive in that box, was there? (laughs) Which I thought was really good. But I think the fact that, that Nate looked disappointed when the box was run over for probably a second showed how quickly he realized that he didn't need this prop to talk to Jade as if she's a a human being. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, which was nice.
0: And so they they go on their date and Nate says, thanks for coming. This is the first time we also see Jade with her hair down. She's always had it in a really tight ponytail and she's here and he's just like, oh, thanks for coming. And she's like, oh, you weren't expecting me. And (laughs) it was a a nice little (laughs) moment, which again, just, how they're they're handling this Nate storyline and making sure the audience does not hate him after season two is just fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's really really good. But that's kind of, um, that's kind of it for the Nate story for this episode, right? Yep that that concludes
0: the Nate storyline. So let's move on to the other love interest storyline from this week, which is Keely and Jack. Yeah uh, we we see Keely and Jack having breakfast, and Jack gives her gives Keely a. Uh, a gift, which is a first edition of Sense and Sensibility, that is signed. And Jack has also defaced it with saying, You go, girl. <laughs> or Keely, um, go get
1: it, something to that effect. It was You Go, girl, because she says, um, Keely says, Did you really dis- uh, ruin this priceless artifact for me? And she says, One, it wasn't priceless, it was very expensive. Two, I get very jealous and I don't want you re-gifting it. And three, that wasn't me. She really wanted you to go, uh, you go, girl. Which I thought was quite a nice line. I have to admit, I'm not mad. I'm, I'm growing less and less fond of this story of Jack and Keely. And, and I, I really think it's because I want Keely to end up back with Roy. But I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but this whole... Story to me is all about Keely explaining to Jack that it she's not with her for the the riches and the gifts because we explained um sorry I should say throughout this whole thing Jack has been gifting Keely some very expensive very very expensive things and these mad romantic gestures and filling her office with flowers and there's a point where she announces her love to or sorry announces their relationship to the whole office. Um, and Rebecca describes it as love bombing and explains that it's exactly what Rupert did to her when they first started going out. I hope they're not sending Jack down a Rupert line, but I also don't think that I would like to see much more of Keely and Jack. I don't know how you feel about it.
0: Um, I I was hoping it would be a little different because it seems like Rebecca's just maybe inadvertently getting into Keely's head but Jack also has a few sprinkles here and there where she's like, I get jealous. I get possessive. So I'm, I am curious to see what they're going to do, but they definitely seem like they're planting seeds for
1: their eventual breakup with this episode. Yeah. But, um, what we should say is, um, I don't, I don't think the beats in this story are, are important individually. I think as a collective, uh, like i said that the point in this story is that jack buys her lots of gifts and keely doesn't really want that and the last beat in this story is that um keely says that she doesn't want all these gifts she's not with her for the gifts she wants to be able to spoil her as well sometimes um i did like i said i feel like there was a lot of screen time here but not a lot of story progression with them and I think they did it right because you needed to understand that she was showering her with gifts rather than being told that but mm-hmm. like I said I don't think it got very far with the episode
0: yeah and I, I think the main thing that they're setting up here with this episode and the storyline right now is that Keeley either has doubts or they are setting up Jack to be a Rupert style love interest where maybe she's not going to be cheating, but she's going to be possessive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Could happen. Could happen. Right. Josh, this is the story. This is the story that I think makes this episode more memorable than others within the series. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Sam. So Sam, a large part of this story revolves around the restaurant he opened earlier in this season. Ola's. 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 Ola's, great. Um, and we, the first time we see Sam, he comes into the restaurant uh, and he's making sure everything's perfect. He's trying to book a table for a very important person. Um, and it turns out that person is his dad, who we've had quite a lot of mention of in the last season with um, the Dubai air um, thing where they were um, ruining parts of Nigeria where, where Sam is from. Um, and his dad was a big influence on the way that he felt with that sponsorship deal with Richmond. Um, so, so it's clear that Sam has a massive respect for his dad and wants to make this restaurant like absolutely perfect for him because the one thing that he can pick out that isn't perfect is the spoons and Simmy, his friend who I have to say, there's a few moments in this story where Simmy's acting is just some of the best in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, she says, "If people love the food, they're not going to care about the spoons." Um, and I thought that was a really lovely sentiment for for the head chef of this restaurant because she's so pissed off with everything else that's going on mm-hmm. around her.
0: Yeah, there, there's some really great stuff there, and uh, it 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 also shows that Sam's not opening this thing uh, with the biggest budget. Yeah. So, like the fact that the silverware doesn't match is uh, a, co- a cost saving idea more than it is just like, we just bought spoons. Uh, <laughs> everything else is going to be perfect, but yeah, um, it, it's, it's a really good subtext to what Sam's doing with this restaurant. It, it, it's uh, it gives the audience the idea of how, how much money Sam is putting into this and how it's not going to be like the most perfect restaurant as far as uh, presentation and everything else. But the food is what you're coming for and the experience.
1: Yeah, and I think they, they really hammer that home in the last scene of this, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, the thing that Simi is pissed off with at the start of this episode is something that is a bit reflective of of something that happened quite recently in the UK, um, in that refugees are trying to cross the channel to, to get to the UK, and the Home Secretary um, – I've got her name written down here because um I actually didn't think it... it so her name is uh, Brinda Burrow and I think she's loosely based on Pretty Patel, the real Home Secretary at the moment. And she says Britain is closed or Britain is not open. Something along those lines. And, and all of the staff um, at OLA's are very pissed off about it. Rightly so, I'd like to say. But... um Sam decides that the best thing to do is to educate Brinda Burrow and tweets her. Um, And I can't remember the exact wording of the tweet. I don't know if you've got it in your notes, Josh. I Um, don't.
0: It's basically he's just disappointed that she's
1: taking such a hard stance. Yeah. Um, And I know that you've got stuff on, on her response, but I think this is reflective of something else that happened in real life. I think this is... Um, a footballer versus politician situation that we saw with Marcus Rashford um, during the early stages of lockdown with COVID um, there was a lot of families that were very worried about how their children are going to be fed um, and part of the UK education system is if you're on a low-income household you get free school meals um, and with schools being shut down there were kids that were going hungry because the families couldn't afford what the, the added cost where the free school meal would cover it um, the government doubled down and said they're not going to to change this they're just gonna gonna keep it as it is and Marcus rashford used his uh, place within within culture to to speak out and be really really vocal that free school meals should be free while schools are closed um, and he managed to get millions of children fed during that time, which I think they were trying to reflect a little bit here with Sam tweeting his uh, his his disapproval of of Brinda Barrow because the Marcus Rashford thing was was done so publicly on Twitter, um with similar responses to how Brinda gets back to him. But the next thing is is important because Brinda tweets back and dismisses everything he says and says um footballer you should you should shut up and dribble and i didn't know about this before i didn't know about that wording um i think josh you'd be much better to explain that
0: yeah back in 2018 uh lebron james and kevin durant did a joint interview on espn where they called out the then president which i'm not going to say his name because he's the devil uh where they called him out for being a racist and he is a notable racist and a liar and everything else in between and uh, Fox personality Laura Ingram took that interview and basically told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. No, literally told him that basically uh, literally told him to shut up and dribble because he's paid hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorships and everything else. Uh, he has no idea what the working class person is up to. He He's not a, a bastion for people, which is completely hypocritical because she's making millions of dollars spewing nonsense and racist propaganda on her network so um I, I i love that they brought that back because among other things it's uh it, it's another american sports callback where in season one when jamie's pretending to be hurt uh ted goes off about this practice tirade and we're talking about yeah. practice practice where one thing where we get to control it practice uh which is an alan iverson thing from back in the early 2000s and uh they did that one word for word as well Um, but Mm. this one I think is much more socially important and it's, uh, just a really big deal that the, the show took the time to bring awareness or remind us that just because they're professional athletes does not mean their opinion doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we were going to talk a little bit about, um, more, more real life situations that happen within football, Um, I think we can get on to them in just a minute because the next beat of this story is after after, um, Sam sees this tweet that says shut up and dribble. Um, He once again goes back quite eloquently and says like very disappointed with this response. Um, He's laughing when he sees it, when his friend responds with the middle finger emojis. Um, So I don't know that he's taking it as seriously as others are at, at that moment in time. But, he's got the Sam goggles on where he's hoping yeah. that the the goodness in people will prevail. Which we find out quickly afterwards that it, it in this case it didn't. Um, Sam gets to Ola's with new spoons because he wants the spoons to be perfect for his dad visiting. And the glass door has been smashed and the inside of the restaurant is completely destroyed really um the mirrors that are behind the seats are, are all smashed up and and simi has sat in the middle of the restaurant and she looks over at the wall and, and spray painted on the wall is are the words shut up and dribble um and i think that this this scene itself there were no words in it it was just sam simi sorry and and sam completely acting as as we've seen so many times in this series completely acting with their facial expressions and it was so powerful the way that they did it i think this was one of those scenes that i would say is flawless it was just so wonderfully done
0: very powerful with no words spoken um you 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 get everything from sam's face you get everything from simmy's face and it yeah uh, as you said it's powerful this is what shows like this this is how shows like this win emmys is uh, in awards and they get the accolades yeah. that they do is because they aren't afraid to tackle tough stories and they aren't afraid to do heavy storylines that people are this isn't necessarily what people come to ted lasso for oh, yeah. but it's well, it's, not, it's kind it's, of what they stick around f- with
1: for it it's not a comfortable subject and i think that putting this in quote unquote a comedy um is is really brave, and I think so. This is what I was I was going to talk about before. Sorry, I should have ordered that a little bit better, Josh. In one of the previous episodes, Josh uh, messaged me about we got a lot of shots of the "Kick It Out" logo on the kit, and "Kick It Out" is a real charity um, that works with football, not just the Premier League. It's it's all levels of English football, um, and it's about tackling racism within within football itself and I think the public's reaction here is is sort of a nod to nod to is a very positive way of saying it it's not a positive thing is a reference sorry to um something that Jason Sadekis had a reaction to and we spoke about it in our very first conversation on Ted Lasso in the dad pod episode of Talking Smack. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went on national TV in America wearing a shirt that said "Jaden, Marcus and Bakayo. And this was referenced to three black footballers who missed um, in your notes, Josh, you've written potentially game winning. They were penalty kicks. So they were game winning shots in the finals of a of a European competition for England. And the amount of racist abuse from everywhere really um was was really a bit unprecedented with with football i think there's there's a big racism problem with football anyway but but it escalated tenfold during that that period of time and i think this is their way of saying that the public have this reaction to what politicians say the public have this reaction to footballers and sam the next time we see him is in the locker room And this is, we've never really seen Sam upset before. Like you said, he's got those Sam goggles and he says, um, they want me to stay in the sport. They want me to shut up and carry on kicking this little ball around a field. This is the thing that they love me for, except for when I have a bad game or except for when I make a penalty kick and miss a penalty kick. Um, And I I just think once again, um, Sam's acting here was, was brilliant really really brilliant
0: yeah the only other time we've ever seen him this upset is when ted was rumored to be bringing back jamie in at the start of season two and uh he gets really upset and he he says shit and uh he's like i'm sorry i i hated saying it i just i was so mad and then in this one he's he's dropping fox he's just so beyond mad and then out of off screen we hear someone just yell samuel and yeah. this is where we are introduced to Sam's dad for the first time in person, uh, played by Nanso An- Uh I'm I'm probably butchering that but Nanso uh who may be best known as uh, Zaro Zohan Daxus, which I jokingly called him Duck Sauce because <laughs> Amelia Clark's <laughs> accent uh, she calls him Duxus, and it, it just sounds like Duck Sauce to me.
1: Um, um, we should say as well. I keep we keep saying Sam, but um, to he. Jimmo, Jim, Jim Jimmo, J I M O H is the actor who plays Sam and he, he smashes it. This episode really, really well
0: done. The the Emmys are going to be loaded with Ted Lasso actors uh, in 2024, whenever they do their awards ceremony, because uh, you, you've got uh, Jamie's actor, which I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, Phil Uh, Dunster. Phil Dunster. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got Sam, you've got Rebecca Keeley. Uh, you've got so many people coming in here and just doing amazing things uh, in their okay. performances and just carrying out these storylines that again, you're not coming to Ted Lasso for, but all of a sudden you're just so engrossed in the story and the characters yeah. that it's like, yeah, this is what Ted Lasso is.
1: Yeah. Um, so when we see Sam's dad for the first time, Sam just goes and cries in his arms. Another really powerful moment, another really well done moment. And, um, but very quickly, we see that Sam's dad has managed to console Sam. And they're in the gym and they're laughing and they're talking about. Um, I've got the quotes here that I really liked from Sam's dad. He said, um, Your anger will only weaken you. And if you want to hurt your enemies, forgive them. Um, and then he says something along the lines of uh, It's a smashed up restaurant. Big whoop. <whistles> Which I thought was really good. They kept doing that. I thought that was really cool. And there was one more quote, which I really loved. And it was, I think the whole thing here was to make Sam's dad really seem really like wise. They really made him to be a father figure within the first sort of 10 seconds of him being there. Yeah, he's Um,
0: lived through all this sort of stuff. He knows how to deal with it and still maintain your own worth, self-worth.
1: Yeah, and and he says, uh, "Don't fight back, fight forward," which I thought was a really lovely quote as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Sam kind of has composed himself; he's happy to carry on with training. Um, Ted tried to give him the day off, but but Sam's dad is like, "No, nope, he's here to play football. He will play football." Um, and there was a really nice joke that I liked that connected Sam's dad and and Ted in this. Sam's dad is wearing quite traditional um, Nigerian clothing, uh, and Ted goes, "Oh." Well, I'm glad I did. I was planning on wearing that same outfit today, <laughs> which I thought was really funny.
0: Yeah, he's just like, funny man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we get Sam's dad at the, uh, at the football with a very awkward interaction with Rebecca saying, Sam's told me all about you. And then we all go quiet. And then Keely goes, come on, Richmond, let's get to the seats. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we learn that Sam has definitely told his dad about his relationship with Rebecca. And Rebecca's just like, oh, shit.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. Higgins acts here like he knows what the what they were talking about, but he doesn't know this, does he? Rebecca uh, Rebecca obviously will, and Keeley will. But, yeah, I don't um, know that Higgins knew.
0: Um, so yeah, that, that's a, an interesting little wrinkle of him being like, oh, this is awkward.
1: <laughs> we then cut to after the match, and Sam and his dad are driving in Sam's uh, car, um, and he says that he's very proud of him despite the result tonight he was... Um, very proud to see him and his teammates playing the way that they did, which was very nice. And and Sam says, do you want to go and see the restaurant? So Sam's kind of accepted what's happened. And I think he's, he's willing to do what his dad said and forgive the people that did it. Um, and this is the scene, Josh, this is the scene that brought a tear to my eye. Mm-hmm. Um, when Sam and his dad get to the restaurant, all of the Richmond players are there cleaning it up and, um, Uh, I really like that Van Damme's reaction was like, oh, hey, Sam's here. And Danny Rojas' reaction was, oh, now it's ruined the surprise, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was good. But um, the thing that was important here was they were talking about, oh, oh, no, okay, the other joke that was very good was um, Isaac's cousin replaced the window uh, on the front and uh Sam was amazed it was done he was like no no my cousin did it earlier this this afternoon he's what he does for a job but he wouldn't give me a discount cuz he's a prick <laughs> <laughs> um which was really good but the simmy says we're going to replace the mirrors behind the chairs there was a reason that i i was very specific that they broke the mirrors behind the chairs in the restaurant and uh sam says no don't replace them let's leave it as a reminder of of the past Um, And I think that was a really lovely moment from Sam.
0: Really, really good moment. Really strong imagery because anyone who comes in there now, there's a story to tell behind uh, those broken mirrors. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just uh, a really strong moment where Sam, uh, he's forgiving,
1: but he's not forgetting. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's also revealed that Ola is his dad's name and the restaurant is named after oh his dad which i i've got your notes here i agree with you i think that this was always implied right yeah but they act it, like but it's a big it's, reveal
0: yeah they they definitely go through the the whole shtick of like oh his dad's name is ola that makes so much sense but like i i always thought that was implied uh but it, like the the acting from uh nonzo here is is really good because he's clearly just like so taken aback by his son naming his restaurant after him
1: yeah yeah it was it was good and then they have a nice kind of classic ted lasso ending of ola and sam and simmy just having a good time and cooking and all of the richmond players being very together and eating at the restaurant when it's all kind of in a in a usable state
0: yeah just fantastic uh so joey how would you rate this episode
1: well, like I said at the start, I it, I think if you didn't include that last sequence and the acting within it, I would probably say it's a 7 out of 10. But I feel like that last sequence has bumped it up a whole point for me. I think an 8 out of 10, um, particularly for Sam, Simi, and uh, Ola's performances, just absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. How about you? I think there's...
0: This is the first time where you and I have differed on a score. I, I am going to give this a nine and a half out of 10. I absolutely loved this episode. I Like I said, at the start, it, it has a really great balance of comedy and drama. If I had to take a storyline out, I would probably take the Keely and Jack stuff yeah, out. I, would too. I think there's a way you can sprinkle in some of that stuff later on without having to extend this episode to another hour long episode. I really love the Nate stuff. I like that. Uh, Maybe we're setting up something where he and his dad can have a moment of father son pride, uh, because Nate's obviously still looking at for that father figure, which um, we aren't getting a lot of Rupert stuff in there. Um, But I I think there's going to be something where uh, his dad's going to say something to the effect of like, I liked you better when you were at Richmond. I I
1: don't like this person you're becoming. Yeah, I think I think that that's fair. I think that's um, yeah, it all makes sense.
0: But I, I with the the shut up and dribble stuff and just acknowledging social awareness, um i I think this is a really powerful episode, but it also has a lot of the stuff that you come to Ted lasso for. So yeah,
1: well, uh,
0: with the Keeley stuff, it's not a perfect episode, so it's a nine and a half for me.
1: Well, I think the shut up and dribble stuff shows that they know their importance as well within pop culture. Um, yeah and and the fact that Ted Lasso is absolutely everywhere every time that they shot a, sequence at a stadium my twitter feed would just be full of ted lasso shooting at this ground ted lasso <laughs> shooting at this ground and the fact that they are so um across so many areas within society i think they do have a really good platform and i really enjoyed seeing how they they put it together here i don't know if eight's a bit harsh i don't just i feel like a few things missed the mark with me and and i'm really like i said i'm really not enjoying the Keeley storyline at the moment, so
0: yeah, I, I definitely can understand that. Which is, like I said, I, I that's for me, that's where it's not a perfect episode. Um,
1: okay. But Fair let's enough. let's move on into my quiz. Your quiz, okay. I've gone for something slightly slightly different this time, Josh. Um, we're going statistics in the Premier League this season. Um, this season, but I'm not going to ask you to name players. So, I've got four questions for you about this season, and one question about the Premier League in general. So. The tallest player in the Premier League this season is a goalkeeper for Tottenham Hotspur, Dan from Casting Views' club. Um, Shout out there. So uh, how tall is Fraser Forster? I'm going to
0: go six foot nine, or as you Brits like to say, four stone.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've got a story about that in in a little bit. I'll tell you after the quiz, which is really funny. (laughs) Um, He's six foot seven. So you were close. Um, I'll give you half a point for that. All right. I'm totting this up as I go, because I've made a fall out of myself a few times. Um, <laughs> well, on the other end of the spectrum, Ryan Fraser is the shortest player in the Premier League this season. How tall is Ryan Fraser? And you've got a kind of a two-inch either way, like like you did before. Let's, let's say he's five foot four. Josh, bang on the money. There's a full point for you. Ryan Fraser is five foot four. All uh, right. And he, he's an attacker, so he often comes up against players who are six five, six six. So, um, sucks to be him. Um, okay. <laughs> the oldest player in the Premier League, and I've got this down to days, but I'll let you have, um, let's do years. If you get the year right, you'll get the point. Uh, let's go 46. 46. Okay, so it's Thiago Silva from um, Chelsea, and you are nine years out. He's 37 Ooh. years old. That's the oldest. So that's the oldest this season. I Dang. think the oldest overall is 43, something along those lines. I think it's Teddy Sharon. From- Man,
0: you guys need a hockey players play well into their forties. If they, <laughs> they can stay healthy.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I was going to say, well, it's quite a physically demanding spot as if hockey wasn't, um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'll retract that. So on, I get, yeah, I'm guessing, you know, where this is going. Um, the youngest player is a player called Ethan Naweri from Arsenal how old is was he when he made his debut
0: I'm gonna say 16 and a half
1: he was 15 and five days playing wow. against adults so that's that's just nuts crazy and then the final final one this this uh, week. Alan Shearer is the the record holder for the most goals in Premier League history. How many goals did he score? Okay, so and I'll give ho- you sort of ten either side.
0: In hockey, it's impressive if you can get like forty goals in a season. And If you hit sixty, that's that's like top marks. Uh, you play thirty eight games throughout yeah. the Premier League. Yeah. So let's say, um. Let's say thirty.
1: No, sorry. This is this is over the whole course of his career. He's oh, over the a, whole ma- course of his career. Yeah, okay. So, so he's. Um, how many goals did he score in the Premier League? Let's say four fifty. Um, you'll be disappointed to know that it was two hundred and sixty goals. <laughs> Jeez. So, um, I think twenty goals in a season is considered a very good season. Uh, okay. In, in football, so. Uh, Josh, you got one and a half this week, <laughs> half as well as last week
0: when I was j- literally we were just pressed against
1: the wall and I was like, um, <laughs> this. <laughs> I was thinking too much again, comparing okay. other things. <laughs> well, I think um, anything more than well, this was a very difficult one because it's based on very current stats. I know if I asked you the tallest ever player in the Premier League, you would obviously be able to tell me that was Costel Pantilimon at six foot nine. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, which is what you're expecting. So maybe next time I'll make it non-year specific. <laughs> um, I do have a mad story for you this this week, uh, but I will keep it very, very quick because I know we've just hit that hour mark. Um, and I want to take you back to the year of 2012, Josh. Uh, everyone thought the minds predicted we were all going to die. Um, I was in my... Now, 2012
0: s- was a great year for me. I met my wife. Uh, the
1: Avengers came out. There it was a you go. good year. I was in my second year of university um, and it was the first year I actually enjoyed and watched football. Um it was also the first year that Manchester City won the Premier League. And I'm gonna take you back to the thirteenth of May 2012, um, at the City of Manchester Stadium, where Manchester City played Queen's Park Rangers in one of the most incredible watches I've ever seen live so queens park rangers are a team from london they were away at manchester city if they lost there was a very good chance that they would get relegated to the second division if manchester city didn't win there's a very good chance that they would lose their title to their biggest rivals manchester united manchester united were playing sunderland away and they had won two 0 Um, So Manchester City needed to win to become champions. In the first half, Queen's Park Rangers scored two goals and it looked absolutely bleak for Manchester City. They came out in the second half and one of the biggest catalysts to this going well for them is Queen's Park Rangers captain Joey Barton decided to, I don't know what happened, see red Elbow a player in the face, knee another player in the back, headbutt another player, and then attempt to attack your friend and mine, Mario Balotelli, from an earlier episode. Whilst on the pitch, he was then escorted down the tunnel by Manchester City right back and former teammate of his, um, Mika Richards, so that he could carry on the game. Um, Manchester City pulled one back. I think it was in the seventieth, around the seventieth minute, but it didn't look good for them looked like they were going to win uh, lose sorry and Manchester City's game was all all finished and done they were on the pitch at Sunderland Manchester United were waiting for the result their game was over and Manchester City managed to pull a goal back an equalizer in 90 minutes plus 2 injury time so we do our score clock a little bit differently to you guys you count down and stop when the ball goes out of play we just let it carry on, and then we add the time on for injury time afterwards. So 90 plus 2, Ed Dzeko scores a goal, meaning that if Manchester City score another goal, they will win the league. And Mario Balotelli, your friend and mine, had never produced an assist in the Premier League until the 90 minute plus 4, which was the last kick of the Premier League season, allowing Sergio Aguero to score a goal, meaning that Manchester City won their first ever title and I'm going to share with you now that the audio from that commentary Manchester City are still alive here, Balotelli Aguero 10 years, 11 years later, gives me chills when I, I listen to it. And Josh, I'll send you the video because the stadium that they're in is literally shaking because the fans are going so crazy. Um And that started Manchester City's kind of current era of dominance that they are still in. So that was the story of Manchester City's last ever goal and the Sergio Aguero goal to to clinch the title in 2012. Very cool the biggest broadcaster of the premier league is sky sports here. And there's a, there's a saying where they could sky sports openly say this. And a lot of people will call a lot of uh, this. They will call Arsenal, Manchester city, Manchester United, Tottenham, Chelsea. And who am I forgetting there? There's another uh, Liverpool, the big six. And they're referred to as the big six. Cause they always win the top six places. Because they have the most money. Um, they spend the most money. In some places, they spend it very wisely. In some places, they don't. But Manchester City have consistently, since their owner changed and they have the most money, have breached financial fair play laws to the point where they've had sanctions across Europe. They've had sanctions in the Premier League. They're currently undergoing a massive thing where they have spent overspent what they're allowed from 2012. Um, so... I'm not in huge favor of it, but the moment that I just described was so incredible on the pitch that um, I think I'm willing to overlook it for for 2012 and 2012 alone. Um, (laughs) It doesn't help that their owner um, is a guy called Sheikh Mansour. Um, He's oil rich and um, has kind of paved the way for some not so good people to become owners within the premier league um mm-hmm. like newcastle have very recently been taken over by a saudi arabian firm and their human rights records are absolutely horrific and i think that they're the pla they're the people that can afford to run these clubs um so we're going to see more of it unfortunately Mm-hmm. Um, but it was kind of it was kind of set up and and driven quite a lot by Manchester City, and I should say that it's only um, Sheikh Mansour and sorry Manchester City and Newcastle that I think their owners have sketchy human rights records. But I, I I can see it becoming more and more of a thing in the near to medium future. So not not a positive thing for me is the the longer short of it. Plus, it means my team have less of a chance of winning anything. Um, (laughs) Our team. Sorry, our team. Our (laughs) team. Up the villa. With
0: that positive note, let's (laughs) let's get out of here. Um, You can obviously follow the podcast, uh, Talking Lasso and Talking Smack, on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. We're also on Hive Social, uh, Post News, Facebook. Uh, We did start on Instagram, which I'm trying to learn. Uh, Eventually, I would like to get into TikTok. But I do, I'm a boomer at heart and I don't know what <laughs> what the TikToks is, um. So we're, we're we're trying to grow other things. Um. But thanks everyone so much for listening to Talking Lasso and joining in on the conversation with us. Um. We had a
1: a listener comment which I mean we can just edit this out. Is this telling me the reason that Wham was being played when? Um, oh yeah yeah that supermodel exactly. yeah, that, yeah that enlightened me. Thank you for the comment. I I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. New listener to Talking Smack. um, Stevie Mac. uh, He's listening to our signs episode earlier in the week. Uh, He said, just listening to this episode today, Anastasia's friends are listening to Wham as a Zoolander reference, Uh, or at least that's how Stevie Mac took it. Um, Haven't been able to confirm or dispute that. So I'm going to take him at his word. Uh, He also says, does anyone else think Trent's
1: long ball suggestion is going to be relevant later? Um. I, I would love to think that it is, but I don't think it will be. I think long ball and total football are the literal opposite philosophies. Um, so I think that it was dismissed then and probably won't be brought back now. I, I could see it coming
0: back as like an antithesis to Nate. Like maybe Nate decides to have some kind of defensive scheme that's going to neutralize it. And then they play long ball to win.
1: Or Nate plays long ball.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um yeah, it, it could come back one way or another. I, I do think it'll come back because it seems like a storytelling mechanic that would make sense in some form. Um, yeah. But thank you to Twitter listener Stevie Mac Icy.
1: Uh Stevie Mac talking to Talking Smack. That sounds <laughs> that's just aesthetically pleasing.
0: Uh-huh. Um, and you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to join our Discord. Join in on the conversation there if you feel so inclined. Uh, we have a Ted Lasso sub category in our TV spot. And uh, Joey, where can people find
1: you? Well, I'd normally make a joke here about you can find me just on the Talking Smack Discord, but please follow uh, Game Club Pod on Twitter and Twitch where we are most active. Um, I'm embracing my boomer and not having an Instagram page that's active, nor a TikTok, <laughs> nor a Facebook, nor an email address nor anything else, but the main place you can find me is on the Talking Smack Discord
0: and in the immortal words of Ted Lasso quoting Walt Whitman
1: be curious, not judgmental and now scram, whistle whistle
0: Scram! <laughs> whistle whistle what?